0: All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm 79, 80, and 81. We'll try to get through all three today. We have a sign-up sheet out there for um, the cleaning ministry. Um, we need some help. Um, we got rooms that need to be taken care of that um, it's just too much for a couple people to do. So we put out a sign-up sheet. If you can't make the meeting that we want to have next Sunday after second service, you can put your name on the sign-up sheet we can get a hold of you. If you want to help out. Um, you can do as small as one room or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's a weekly thing, though, and really need com- some commitment for that, too. So be be in prayer about that as to whether that's something you want to be a part of. Um, it's kind of a big building. So if you're interested in helping out in that area, there's a sign-up sheet for that, and then also the meeting will be uh, next Sunday after second service, and we'll meet in the big classroom over there. Um, not this Monday, but next Monday, we begin to collect boxes for Operation Christmas Child from all the churches in the area. Um, so keep that in mind. Keep that in prayer. If you haven't packed your box yet or if you're, uh, if you're thinking about it and haven't done it, you can grab one on the way out the door today and get that done. I know that we're waiting till the last week also to do it, so we're grabbing our boxes today. So um, you can do that. Um, I think that's about it. What else is going on? Uh, yep, 14th to the 20th. Oh, yeah, prayer is normally tonight. We're going to do it tomorrow um, because today is a very, very special day. A Very special day. It's my birthday, so we're not doing prayer tonight. I got new shoes. That's it? There's no... Uh, All right. Thank you. That's right. Song would be nice, but that's okay. Psalm 79, verse 1. We'll get into it. Now, Now, these three psalms go together, okay? Psalm 79 is a cry for help. Um, 80 is sort of a cry for help too, but 81 is where God says, okay, I hear you cry. I, I know that you need help, but here's what we can do to avoid these circumstances to begin with a lot of times. And so that's why that 81 is so important. In verse one, this is the psalm of Asaph, and he is. Um, this is right after Babylon has come in, and they've destroyed the city, and um, the battle is over, and they're going into captivity, and so he's crying for help. And remember, the, the background story on this is there's a lot of people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal, that they haven't, um, they're not in in rebellion against God like most of the nation is, and they're kind of caught up in it. Uh, they're caught up in the judgment that's coming to the whole nation. So there's always that remnant that is still following the Lord, but it feels like they pay the consequences as well uh, of, the, of, the, of the people that are in rebellion. And so that's kind of the, the background for this psalm. It's, he, he starts off, Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance, your holy temple they have defiled. They have laid Jerusalem in heaps. The dead bodies of your servants they have given as food for the birds of the heavens. The flesh of your servants are saints uh, to the beasts of the earth. Their blood they have shed like water all around Jerusalem. There is no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to those who are around us. That's very descriptive. (laughs) Um, Very vivid picture here of what's taking place. Not many of us can identify with that kind of imagery. We haven't seen anything like that except maybe in a movie or something. But um, he's living it. They're in the middle of this and the carnage is all around him. Um, And there's confusion when these things take place. And when there's a time of war, well, there's the the fog of war. There's like five stages of the fog of war, sound and sights and and smells and and, and all these things that can go on. They're they're fogs of war. Well, he's in the middle of this fog of war as Babylon has come in and and seemingly unencumbered, you know, before God would step up and protect and defend. Um, But in this case, um, it hasn't happened. And so the writer's doing all he can do as a believer As someone who who is a worshiper of God, he cries out to God. He doesn't have any place else to go. He doesn't allow him to have any place else to go, you know. And so when he cries out, you know, as a brother in the Lord, you know, you think about the prodigal son and he had an older brother that didn't understand all this grace and mercy stuff that was given to the younger brother. As you read this, it's like they've come into my holy temple, your holy temple into your. Well, who invited them? I mean, why are they there? That's the question. As an older brother, you would ask the younger brother, why are you in trouble? You know? Well, I decided to be rebellious against God and do everything he told me not to do. And we're kind of like, well, this is kind of what you get. you know. Um, so when he cries out, it's hard not to go there in my mind. Um, They're in your holy temple. Well, I don't know how holy it's been as you divide your time between this God and that God, and once in a while throw in for good measure, good old-fashioned, you know, Yahweh kind of thing. How holy is the temple? This is your inheritance. Well, it was, and it still is. Remember, the land always belonged to God, and the people that dwelt in that land wouldn't repent of their sins for 400 years, and so he evicted them and brought in the nation of Israel. Now they're doing the same thing as the other nations did, and they're getting evicted now, basically. The inheritance stays the same. God's land stays the same. And so that's one aspect that you can look at. What caused this to take place? The dead bodies, the carnage, all the devastation that's gone on, where there should be peace and hope. Well, like I said, we haven't seen this in real life, most of us. But spiritually speaking, you know, Um, God calls our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we can find ourselves crying out to God for help because of these very things. We've allowed the enemy to come in or we've invited him in. And we've asked him to come in. And now there's carnage all over the place in our lives. Our lives are not going like they're supposed to. The marriage isn't where it used to be. The kids aren't doing what they should be doing. You know, my heart isn't in the right place like it should. And so then the cry of our heart, like the cry of Asaph here is, God, help. God, come. Can't you see what's happening to me? Well, yeah, but, you know, where did it start? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, as the writer of Asaph is trying to get God to come in and punish the enemies, this is what Peter says of what the Lord wants to do, for the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. That's where the judgment starts. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So, yeah, it will come to the world. It will come to the rest, those who we think deserve it. But God always starts with us first, always. And that's important. When Jesus came and flipped over the the tables in the temple, we've talked about this several times. I I don't mean to bring it up every church service, but it's hard not to see the point that God was trying to make. Why didn't he go to the palace but went to the temple instead. Why didn't he overthrow the Roman yoke, but instead went to the house of God and began to do changes there first? Well, it's the same thing in our lives. Yeah, I want my life better. I want to come to Jesus so that he can fix my marriage, so he can fix my kids, he can fix my finances. I want all that. But there's some things that need to take place because the reason those things are in disarray is because of my heart. And so if I really want these things fixed and not band-aided, it's not a word, but it is today, I need to get the heart changed so that I don't continue this pattern. So I don't continue living after myself. And so the writer is going to slowly, but surely get to that. And that is what Psalm 81 is about. Verse five. How long Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. for They have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Um, no, do, do not remember former iniquities against us. Please, you know, forget all that past stuff. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for you have been brought very low. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins. For your name's sake, why should the nations say, where is their God? Now, I know that's halfway through 10, but that's where I want to stop. I want you to not remember our former iniquities. Could you please forget those? Of course, he does. He always promises us that. But he also says we need tender mercies to speedily meet us. I need some help. You're the God of my salvation. I've been brought very low. Being brought low doesn't mean we've learned. It just doesn't. It means we've, we're feeling now the consequences of our decisions and our choices, but it doesn't necessarily mean I've learned what I need to learn. Um, Just being sorry, just being caught, um, just having an emotional breakdown doesn't mean that I've repented, that I've turned from my sin, that I'm never going to make that choice again. It just means I've been brought low. And so sometimes we ask for God's help a little prematurely. Sometimes we need to meditate on these things. It isn't that we don't want God to forgive us of our sins and that we shouldn't ask for it immediately. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's some lessons to be learned, to think on, to meditate on, to let it get deep into our hearts. Why? You know, why did this come about? What did I do? What was my hand in it? Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it happened to you. Or maybe through a long chain of bad decisions, or at least not prayed about decisions, I find myself in a place where I'm crying out for help because I've gotten myself into these, this terrible situation. And so although they're brought low and he's calling out for their salvation, um, we're responsible for our spiritual environment. Every one of us is. Um, I'm as close to God as I want to be. I'm in his word as much as I want to be. I pray as much as I want to pray. I sing as many praise songs as I want to sing. All those things change the environment around me, my spiritual environment. I also watch as much TV as I want to watch i participate in much of the worldly things as i can as i choose to and that has a direct impact on my spiritual well-being whether we like it or not it would be great if we just were immune from all the worldliness out there and we could engage and indulge in all the worldliness and not have it affect us but that's just not the case you know think about your diet for example you know you can't eat doritos and oreos as good as they are you know um, and not have a physical effect on your body you just can't I remember that one uh, documentary of a guy that ate nothing but McDonald's for 30 days or something like that, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for 30 days. Can you imagine? He felt sick. I don't know why, right? Um, Well, some of us are like, what? I could try. You know, (laughs) fries are really good. Well, that's a funny way of saying a lot of us as Christians can try to practice as much worldliness as we can, worldliness as we can and And not have it affect us well it does it just does um, and we need work in that area. our spiritual environment's up to us um, we uh you the world uses the term three steps forward, one step back or two steps back, right three steps forward, two steps back That's usually the phrase, and it means you you go and it feels like you're getting hit back, but at least it's one step positive, right. When it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to walking with the Lord, I think uh, it's, it's the other way around a lot of times for the Christian or for the beginning Christian or the new Christian. They haven't figured it out yet. And I, and I hope you hear this this morning. Um, if you're going 90 miles an hour towards a cliff and you decide to slow down 10 miles an hour, guess what? You're still going 80 miles an hour towards the cliff. Spiritually speaking, when God tries to put on the brakes of our life to stop being worldly, and we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing that one thing, but you continue to do the 50 other things that are worldly, there's no change. Your trajectory is the same. There has to be a drastic turnaround. That's what repentance means. It's a 180-degree it's turn, not just a slowdown towards worldliness. It's a complete stop. It's a turnaround from worldliness and go the other direction instead of having you know, uh, you know, one step forward and ten steps back, which is what most new Christians start off as and can't figure out why their life isn't any better, it's got to be the other way around. It's gotta, I've got I've to be born again. I have to have a new mind and a new heart. I have to see all these things differently. There needs to be a drastic change in my life, not just an added Jesus Christ to my back pocket or to my resume you know, and still keep the worldliness. can't be that way. It doesn't work that way. And the nation of Israel discovers that, and they discover that over and over again, unfortunately. They go around this mountain, and, and we can as well. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What is your mind occupied with most of the time? What do we, what do we focus on most of the time? If you're walking in the Spirit, it'll be the things of the Spirit. Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those are the things you have to do. You've got to put those things down. You have to purposely decide not to do those things, to invite the world into your life, into your eyes, into your ears. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say then, Paul says to the Galatians, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's just not subtracting worldliness, it's adding the Spirit, to your life. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There's a war that goes on in our in our lives. When you come to Jesus, He wants to do certain things, but your flesh wants to do other things. And you've got to decide. You get to make that choice in which path you're going to choose. And of course, God says, choose life. Choose the path of life. Now, finishing up verse 10 on the other page here, if you're Following along, let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood, your servant, uh, which has been shed. I want to see you avenge our blood, this guy says. Well, that's very similar to, do you remember the, the, the cities of refuge? When the nation of Israel came in and conquered Canaan and God gave them the land, they set it up and divided it up amongst the the tribes, the 12 tribes got different portions, and then they would set up these specific cities that were usually a day's run from any direction. The idea is, so you're swinging your hammer or whatever and you're working with a guy and the hammerhead flies off and knocks him out and kills him, well, bizarre stories, but this is what would happen the brother of that guy that you killed had a responsibility to avenge the blood. And you got to run. And so they would run to these cities as fast as they can so they could get a fair trial. But if he could catch you before you got to that city, he could do whatever he wanted to do. Bizarre, right? I mean, we don't even understand that. But that's the avenger of blood. And sometimes it was legitimate. Sometimes he wasn't just a hammerhead flying off. It was an actual, you know, conk on the head. Not to bring up any political stories here in the news today. But, you know, a bonk on the head, and then then this guy would come running after you, that Avenger. Well, why is he doing it? That's the key. Why is the Avenger of blood running? Because it's my brother. Was the brother always a great guy? Maybe not. Was he always right? Was he always the best behaved? No. But the, the Avenger of blood, the brother says, this is what I do. This is my blood relative. That's what he's getting at. Regardless of who we are, God, on our bad days, We are your people. We ask that you avenge us. We want you to come after those that are coming after us. Please. And that's the idea. Verse 11. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you, according to the greatness of your power. Preserve those who are appointed to die, and return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom, their reproach with which they have reproached you, O Lord. And here's his reasoning behind asking for all of this. Verse 13. So we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, they're they're pulling that card here, we're your sheep, we'll give you thanks forever and we'll show forth your praise to all generations. Now we've read long enough to know that that statement isn't exactly true, is it? You know, if you get me out of this mess, I promise I'll never ever do it again. And God's like, yeah, I'm going to wait 70 years. And then we'll do what you've asked me to do. That's how long they're in Babylon. You've got to learn this lesson. We can't have this. And even then, it doesn't last as long as it should have. Even after 70 years of captivity, they still didn't get the the message. This is a great phrase, verse 13. It's also um, in Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7. And we have a song, a worship song that we sing. Based off of this, O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. There is nothing better than to be the sheep in God's hand, to let him be your shepherd of your life. There's nothing better. That isn't the problem here, though. They are that, but they've decided to switch pastures. They've decided to switch shepherds. They're following the dictates of their own heart. Instead of staying close to the shepherd where the protection is, where the wisdom is, eat this, don't eat that. The shepherd would say to sheep, bring them in to good fields where they can eat and devour and have a great time and let them lie down by still waters and green pastures and do all those wonderful things that a shepherd does. They said, well, I'm going to see what's over that rock cliff over there. And they get themselves in trouble. So yes, you are the sheep of his pasture, but then stay in his pasture, stay there. But wandering off on your own and asking him to follow you as opposed to you following him. That's so important to have that straightened out. Psalm 80. Another one by Asaph. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Going along with that same picture of us being sheep and him being the shepherd. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. For before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. He says in verse 3, Restore us, O God, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. He'll say that three different times in this psalm, that exact verse 3. He'll say two more times. What does it mean to be between the cherub or the cherubim? He's talking about the mercy seat. In the tabernacle or in the temple, depending on what area you're talking about, the furniture inside the holy of holies and the holy place, divided into two chambers, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and that had in it, it's just a box. That when they say the Ark of the Covenant, that's just the box. It's not the, the lid, okay? So the Ark of the Covenant is just a box, and inside of it was a jar of manna, um, Aaron's rod that budded, and then also uh, the Ten Commandments were, were in there on, on stone tablets. And that was in it. On top of that was co- what's called a mercy seat, okay? And so this Ark that they would carry around would end up being the throne of God, when they'd set it down, put the mercy seat on it, his Shekinah glory, remember the smoke and the and the, and the sh- the shine that God emitted came down into the temple or tabernacle, depending, and, and when they knew God was there. Oh, there he was. He was sitting on his throne, basically, on the mercy seat. Well, on that mercy seat are two golden cherubim with their wings outstretched, facing each other. So when he says this, you're the one who dwells between the cherub or the cherubim. You're the one that sits on the mercy seat, and that's what we're asking for. Is this mercy? Please bring us mercy. Restore us. We need restored. Sometimes we need that. We need that reboot. That's how, when I think of restore, I think of 21st century, I think of my computer when it needs to be restored. You know? It used to be that you had to get rid of all the software and reload the software from disks or floppies or whatever. I don't, some of you are that old and know what I'm talking about. And uh, thank goodness we don't have that anymore, but we used to have to get rid of all that and then upload, you know, and start with a fresh brand new computer fast. It's all, all of a sudden fast again, you know. Well, God's asking, for, or they're asking that for that from God. We need to be restored, Lord. We do. We get slowed down with our sin. We're slowed down in our rebellion. It keeps us from moving forward at the speed we used to move. What 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 hinders us? Several times Paul tells the the people, he says, Why why do you become entangled with the things of the world? You can't run like you're supposed to run with all that weight on, with all that entanglement that you've got. You need to cut those cords. Get rid of that stuff, you know. Restore us, restore us. Verse 4. Oh Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry against your people or against the people of against the prayer of your people? Excuse me. How long are you not going to listen? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in great measure. You have made us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies. Laugh among themselves. Again, restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. We know that's where our help comes from. We've had enough tears. We've cried enough. It seems like that's all we eat or drink anymore. It's just our tears. It's been been very bad. And he says that very poetically. Verse 8. You've brought a vine out of Egypt. So he uses this as the analogy, the vine. You've cast out the nations and planted it. So they're transplants into another flower bed, basically. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root. It filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges so that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit. The the boar out of the woods uproots it. The wild beasts of the field devours it. We thought we were going to be your garden, you know. A, a beautiful, fruitful vine, you know, um, to bring a blessing to you. But all we can see is that there's no protection anymore and that the, the the vineyard's being ruined and the vines are being uprooted and terrible things are happening. Come back and begin to be the vine dresser again, which is a, A picture that God uses or Jesus uses actually in John 15. Uh, John chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. And here's the key as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This vineyard that you're discussing here, Asaph, is in disarray because you've uprooted yourself. You've detached yourself from the God who supplied you with everything. Your happiness, your joy, your provision, all these things came from me, and you've decided to not go to him and to find it on your own. Well, he's the root. He's the only way that you can get it. And To remove him from your life is to have this happen. That's the idea. That's fine. I'll go with the vine idea if you want to use it as a picture. I'm the vine dresser and I'm the root. You must have me or it doesn't go. You can't have it. You can't have it without me. Verse 14. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine. And the vineyard which your right hand has planted and the branch that you made strong for yourself... It is burned with fire. It is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. And here it is again. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Cause your face to, sh- face to shine and we shall be saved. Now, I don't fault him for asking for God to help. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. and We are too. I don't want us to come away saying, okay, well, we need to wallow in our guilt and shame for a while before we cry out to help. No, I think it can be immediate and should be to cry out for God for forgiveness and for help and for mercy. But we've got to start with a repentant heart. We have to first decide not to do those things anymore. To say, I see the sin that caused me to fall into this place. I don't want that anymore in my life. I repent of it. Now help me out, please. You know, We sang a song about Peter walking on the water. It was a short part of the verse, but, and God immediately pulled him out of the waves. Pulls him out of the waves because of his lack of faith. But what Peter does in that one word of help, help me, Lord, three words, I guess, is he's repenting. I need help. I need it. I can't do this on my own. I can't make this happen on my own. I can't walk on water without faith in you. I need help. That's all God's asking us to do. Yes, ask for help. Ask to be restored. Ask his face to shine upon you. But repent. Turn from those things that got you into those conditions. And that's what 81 is about. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon and the full moon of our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, we heard a language I did not understand. So he's calling on the God who let them leave Egypt with all the pomp and circumstance, with all the music and all the singing. Oh, praise the Lord, we're set free, we're set free. We want to play that song again in our lives. Verse 6. Here's what God says. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Mirba. I remember those times. I remember all I did too. I remember you dancing and singing after you cried out for me to get out of Egypt and I helped you. And I remember you taking you through just a short trip over to the promised land. It was supposed to be a short trip, not 40 years. And I remember testing you at different places where you had to rely on me and trust in me for water. A million of people in the desert, of course you need to trust God for water. And he did. He tested me, and I, and, and I was proven faithful in those areas. That's all I'm asking for again is what he's getting at. I want to sing that song again too, God says. I want to sing with you. I want you to have the joy of your salvation restored. But remember how that joy of salvation came about. It came about from you crying out to me because you knew you couldn't do it on your own. I want to come back to that place where you rely on me again, where you trust in me again, where you pray and you seek and you ask and you wait for me to answer. And then I do. And we're excited together about this beautiful relationship we have. So here's what he says. Verse 8. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. Be glad to. Just stop sharing my glory with all these other people. They had nothing to do with your deliverance. These other gods had nothing to do with you getting out and receiving forgiveness and mercy. It had nothing to do with any of those things. It was me. Now, he's not, you know, He's not jealous in that way. Like, I'm the only one that wants, only only I should get credit. It's like, it's not good for you to divide your time amongst these worthless, dumb idols that have nothing to do with helping you, and then giving me a brief portion of your time. That's not how things are going to go well for you. This goes back to the very first thing we said. If we're going to take steps with God, we need to give him all of us. That's how you gain ground spiritually. That's how you grow and mature is when we give him everything, not just bits and pieces. Verse 11, but my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Of course, we never want to get to that place. Where God tells us, I want you to specifically do this. And we say, I specifically say no. Because I have a better plan and a better idea. And God will let you have that plan. And he will let it get planted in your life and bear the fruit that only it can produce. And it's not good fruit. He'll let us. There's several examples we could use for this, but there are time and time again where the Bible warns us about, they mean very blanket statements, don't do this specifically. And we think for some reason when we read it, that couldn't possibly be me because I'm in love. Hope well, did I put too fine a point on it there? Of course I can change them. Of course this unbeliever will come to know the Lord sometime in their life. I just, our love can conquer all. God says, no, I don't want you to be unevenly yoked. These spiritual differences are going to have consequences in your marriage, and it's going to have consequences with your kids, and it's going to reap a harvest that you had no idea. And you're going to be the one on the knees, on your knees, throughout your entire marriage. Oh God, please save this person. Oh God, and live a life of misery, all because you wouldn't listen to me. Please listen to me," he says. But if not, he is a gentleman and will let us choose whomever. And let us have the consequences of these things as well. Verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. All this can be avoided. All of it. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. I would have, could have, should have, wanted to, if you'd have only listened. Final verse for this morning and then we'll close. Philippians 4.8. Here's what we do. I mean, everybody can kind of think about things that need to go in their life. We have probably got that from these three chapters. Okay, I've got like seven things God showed me that need to go. I don't know if I'll have the guts to do it when I walk out these doors, but at least I know what it is I'm supposed to get rid of. But here's what you add. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Don't just subtract from your life, add to it. Add the things of God to your life, and you grow exponentially. You'll mature faster than you ever had. Things will get fixed faster than they ever could get. It's just... It's obvious. If you train harder, you, you run faster. It's just how it is. And it's the same spiritually. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. For your Well, you, you tell us the truth. Whether we can receive the admonishment or not, you, you tell us the truth, and we're thankful for that. We have no excuse for not knowing how to get out of these problems and situations. We need to listen to you and obey you, to read your word, receive it with gladness, and to do it to not be hearers only, but then doers. And so as we leave today, I pray you'd help us to be doers of the word. That Whatever you've shown us this morning, that we'd actually um, apply to our lives and really do it and be changed and, 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 and thoroughly enjoy our walk with you because this is a place of peace. You don't want us to cry out like this any more than we do. You want us to avoid these petitions for help and deliverance. If we just listen to you, we'd never have to cry out for those things. We'd never find ourselves in these situations that our sin puts us in. God, help us to obey for our sake and for yours and for our relationship with you. I pray that you bless these folks as they go today. I pray they have a fruitful week, a spiritually fruitful week for you, that they'd reap that fruit and enjoy the blessings of walking with you in obedience and can see that peace that can only come from that path. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.